and I didn't talk much. Well, we didn't talk at all part of this week, but a lot of the music, the songs he selected today, and they go right along with what we're going to be talking about. I'm not very good at puzzle putting together, so I don't know how this is going to look as far as putting the pieces together, because that's kind of what was on the brochure thing, and I'm not sure, I hope I, hope I do that, because I've had to take three very good messages on a passage that we've selected, and try to summarize it, try to bring it all together, try to do something with it, and I hope what we're going to share with you today is going to do just that. We are talking about a subject that in one, in one sense has become kind of old hat for us. Like Terry said, I think it was Terry a while ago, said we do things the same thing, we do them over and over and over again and pretty soon they kind of lose, they lose their meaning, they lose their emphasis, their focus or whatever and sometimes we read a passage like this and we kind of just read over it and we really don't grasp the significance of it sometimes and what it's saying. This passage is probably the most important thing that Jesus said to his, to his followers, to, his, to, the, to the people he was around, and it's overwhelming when we start getting into it and we start looking at it and what Jesus is really saying here. And, 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 and one of my terms that I use a lot of times is we're going to believe a lot of meat on the bone here. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's so many facets and things that we could go off on and tangents that we could go on, off on on this because this is so rich and deep and significant. And I hope that we will all appreciate the significance of this passage and what it all means. All right? So the passage that we're looking at is in Mark, the 12th chapter, verses 28 through 30. And I will read that right now. One of the legal experts came up to, came up and overheard the discussion. And this was a discussion that Jesus was having with some others, uh, religious people. Realizing that Jesus had given a splendid answer, he put a question of his own. Which commandment, he asked, is the first, the greatest, the most important of all? The first one, replied Jesus, is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your understanding, and with all your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Just take a minute to just listen to what Jesus is saying in response to a question that was asked to him. And you will, if, if we will seriously look at it, we will begin to be overwhelmed with the significance of what, this is, what is going on here. It's interesting is that whenever, it's, it's, when you look at Jesus' life, a lot of times there were a lot of confrontations that he had with people. There were a lot of difficult situations that he was involved in. There was a lot of of experiences that looked like they were just horrible experiences and it was out of those horrible experiences, out of that conflict, out of that contentious uh, demeanor that people approached Jesus with came some of his greatest teaching and some of the most beautiful messages that God has for his people. And this is one such 
incident. And so what I want to do this morning is that I want to, uh, I want to look at the scene and the question, and then I want to look at Jesus' response, and then I want to end with our response. So the scene and the question. We don't have time to read through it all, but what is going on here is that there are some Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people of the day, they were threatened by Jesus. He was threatening their place in the temple, they, that he was coming and he was saying things that were just totally out of bounds as far as they were concerned. People were going after them, they were jealous of Jesus, and so they were looking for anything that they could find to discredit Jesus, to embarrass Jesus, and to even accuse him of something that they could put him to death with. They wanted to stop him as what was their full intention. And so it says that they came to test him with some questions. And you no doubt these Pharisees and these scribes got together and they got to talking about what can we ask him that would really trip him up? What could we, what, what questions could we really get him that he would not know how to answer? Or he would answer in the wrong way and then we could pounce on him. So they come up with some questions. The first one was, who, should we give tribute to Caesar or not? And Jesus answers them. Give tribute to whom tribute is due. Give to Caesar's what's Caesar, and give to God what's God's. Okay? Shut their mouth. They didn't know what to do with that answer. And then the scribes, it says, ask him about the resurrection. You see, the scribes didn't believe in the resurrection. So to understand the, the significance of their question, they're calling into something they didn't believe. And what's Jesus going to do with this now? Who in the resurrection, if somebody dies, a man and a woman marry and the man dies and she doesn't have children and the brother marries the wife, that was the custom of the day, then whose wife will she be if there's seven brothers and they all were married to her? Who's she going to be in the resurrection? They thought, well, if you're talking about this resurrection thing, then what's going to happen with this situation? How's God going to work all that out? doesn't make sense. So Jesus talks about you don't, you're, you, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God and he goes on to explain it. Okay? So he, he, shuts, he shuts their mouths. Their, 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 their intent of coming to accuse him is put to a stop, and Jesus just very wisely and, and forthrightly just stops them in their tracks, and they have nothing else to say about all of this. They have nothing to accuse him. Jesus is not embarrassed. They didn't discredit him in any way. And then one of these legal experts, these lawyers, these scribes, was sitting over there by the side, and he heard all this going on and I think and I don't know what your thought is of why, what his motivation in asking this question is was he in line with the rest of them trying to discredit Jesus or was he really sincere about this question that he was going to ask my opinion and it's just my opinion is that I think that he was very sincere in what he's asking I think that he understood, he saw that Jesus, some translations say he answered wisely. Or that he, in what we read a while ago, that he, that he saw that Jesus answered in a splendid way. There was something unique about the way Jesus responded that caught his attention. And so what does he do? He says, okay, here's, a, here's all of these laws that we have in the law of Moses. Hundreds of laws. Go through the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus and all of this. The Ten Commandments and all these laws about everything to do with Jewish life. They were to keep. And not only were those commandments, but there were commandments that, 
became, well, they were just uh, good ideas at beginning that really evolved into being commandments in the Jewish system that you have to, in order to keep the, the God-given commandment, you have to do all of these other things that we say. So those things became commandments. And everybody's, you had to, you had to adhere to all of these things that we said. Not, not, they, there were a lot of things they said were commandments that really weren't commanded from God, but they said these were from God because they help us keep the commandments that God told us to keep. See how convoluted it gets? Aren't we the same way? Every Christian group in America, and I don't know about around the world, but I know in America, every Christian group in America that has a name on their front has laws that they think are the most important. We all agree on some big, major things about Jesus and about God. But everybody has their own set of commandments and say, yeah, we are to love God, but we got to do these things as well. These are the things, if you want to do these things, you've got to do these, and you've got to do them the way we do them in order for everybody to be right. And you know what? That causes a lot of walls in between, between all the Christian churches in America. There's all these walls because your commandments are not my commandments. And the same thing was going on here. And this man saw through all of that. And so he says, you know what? What is the most important thing? We're bickering about all kinds of laws and, and, and what this means and what that means and how to do this and how to do that. And Jesus just, and, and this young man says, what is the most important thing for us to do in the kingdom of God? And so that's the question that he asked Jesus. What is the most important commandment? As Terry said, shouldn't that that just arrest our attention? This is the most important thing, Jesus said. The most important thing. If we don't get the most important thing right, is anything else going to be right? We may look like we're Christian, but if we don't get this first commandment right, then all that other stuff is just going to be for show. It's not going to have the full meaning and significance and impact that it should have. And so that's the significance of this question, is what is this all about? What is the most important commandment that we can find? Now look down in verse 32 and verse 33. I don't have it. Uh, on the screen but I want to look at the response that this lawyer had to Jesus and what he said Jesus said love the uh, hero Israel the Lord your God love your heart all that and then this this young man answers him and says you are right in saying that you are to love God with all of your heart soul mind and strength and Jesus the Bible says that Jesus perceived that this man asked from a very sincere heart and that his answer was from a very sincere heart. And Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What was Jesus saying? He's saying that the kingdom of God is first and foremost about loving God. That is what the heart of the kingdom of God is about. It's not about rules, it's not about commandments, it's not about all of these other things that we put so much priority and significance on. The number one thing about the kingdom of God, living under his rule and reign, is the love of God. 
and us loving God. That's the most significant. That's what Jesus said was the most significant thing. And if that's the most significant thing that Jesus said there is, why is it the one thing that we spend the least time pursuing? And that hit home with me when I read that. Why do we spend less time pursuing the love of God and reflecting that in our life than we do anything else? Think about that. So Jesus' answer here to this young man gives us a little bit of insight into what God's, God's ultimate purpose is for creation. The whole reason that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, those full six days of creation that you read in Genesis 1 and, the old, and, 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 and bringing it to its highest level when he created man in his own image, the only reason he did all of what he did was to express his glory that he is a God of love. That is his purpose for creation. He has given us the vocation, the purpose, to reflect his glory. And we're going to look at that a little bit more when we get into, uh, as we continue on. So we have the most important question asked, and we have the greatest answer given. You know, I heard somebody say one time, we need to quit talking about all this love stuff all the time. And we need to get down to some real good doctrinal teaching. That is, that's, to me, that's almost heresy. But I've heard people in a pulpit, in a church, say that with my own ears. We need to quit talking about some of these other things quite so much and putting so much emphasis on them and we need to start talking about what our genuine purpose and, and intent and meaning in life is and it is to reflect the glory of God. And that is, we do that by loving Him. That is the greatest commandment there is. All right, so now, we have this scene. Now let's look at Jesus' answer. Jesus said, first and foremost, you know, we say, what's the greatest commandment? And you know what we usually reply? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not what Jesus said. That's what he said later. But his initial response to the question, that's where we have to start. What Jesus responded to the question of what is the greatest commandment was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mind. That is the number one thing. That is the answer to the question. We can't get to loving God until we come to terms with there is one God. That's the most significant part of this answer to Jesus, that Jesus gives to this young man. What does it mean? The Lord your God is one. Our view of God will determine how we love God. If your view of God is distorted, 
if it's skewed, if it's not based on truth, you're going to have a very difficult time loving God. When he says the Lord your God is one, does that mean one in singularity? Yes, it sure does. But it means even more. It's much deeper and richer meaning than that. What he's saying is, is that we have to understand who God is. We have to understand what God is all about. We have to come to terms and know God according to truth. A lot of us have a perception of God that is not according to truth. And you know what it does? It wrecks havoc in our life. It keeps us from being the people that we are called to be. You hear so many people say, and I'm one of them, God is, God is harsh, God is demanding, God is going to punish me, God is punishing me when something goes bad in my life, I don't think God can love me. I, there's all of these ideas and thoughts that we have about who God is. And those, those, are, those are skewed views of God. Those are not based on truth. And if our view of God is not based on truth, then getting to loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is just going to be almost impossible. Because who am I, why would I love a God that I think is harsh and mean and, ju- and, and demanding? It would be hard to love somebody like that, wouldn't it? Am I off base? What do you think? Good? And so we've got to come to terms with and, and really put a, an effort into knowing who God is. And so who is God? In, John, in 1 John 4 and 8, I think I might have that up there. Yeah, here we go. 1 John 4 and 8. I would encourage you to spend some time in 1 John. It's, it's pretty incredible, in, 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 especially in relation to what we're talking about this morning in the great commandment. The one who does not love has not known God because God is love. And we'll stop right there. That's who God is. Every thought, every action, every word, everything that emanates from God is motivated and comes from His love. The very creation that we live in, this world, was created out of God's love. When we look at the mountains, who created them? God. We look at the Grand Canyon. We were going to go to the Grand Canyon when the kids were little. And I went out, well, we'll stop. We'll stop for about an hour. We'll get back in the car and we'll head on to California and we'll get going. Because I don't want to, you know, how big a deal can this be? We spent three or four hours there that day because it was magnificent. God created that. The barrier reef I hear down in Australia, they say is magnificent. The beauty, the color, the richness of it, it's indescribable. Who created that? God. Who created our planet in the, in the Milky Way? That we, this solar system we live in, and all these billions of stars. God. Who created all those billions of galaxies that are just out there that we're discovering more and more all the time? Who created all of that? God. 
And why did he create it? Because it's beautiful. Love is beautiful. Love is magnificent. God's expressing his character, the essence of who he is. He is love. Now here's a hard one to, to get our minds around. If everything, if, we, if, we, use, if we, we predicate everything on the fact that everything that emanates from God is love, what about his judgment and his punishment of the evildoer? I don't know how to explain and get my head around it necessarily, but that doesn't mean it's not true, but that emanates from the love of God as well. Because God is love. He never does anything that is in direct conflict with his true essence and nature. And if he is love, then everything he does is love. It emanates from him. That's what Jesus is saying when he said, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That we have to come and understand that God is, is almighty God. That he's holy. That we are to be in fear of God. That he is, that he is awesome. When you approach God, when people in the scriptures approach God and they fell down in fear. Why? Because of his magnificence. You know what radiates from God? The love, because that's who he is. We, as finite creatures, fallen people, we cannot handle the love of God directly. And I think that's what happened with Moses. I think that's what happened when people encounter angels that are just gleaming and glowing is because they are radiating the very essence of who God is and his glory. And his glory and his essence is that he is love. That's our God. That's who we have to come to know. And until we get our, our minds and our heads and our hearts around that and engage with that, then loving him the way Jesus said is going to be a difficult proposition. It has to start right here. That we have to know God and understand who he is. Do we make it a, a priority? You know, we talk a lot about the words intent and, and uh, oh, what was that other word? We've got to be very uh, intentional. We've got to be very intentional in our lives. And I agree with that. Those are, those are fine terms and everything. But are we intentional with knowing God? Are we intentional with understanding Him and getting to know Him? And how do we get to know God? We look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is the express image of the love of God. If you want to know what love looks like, read Jesus. Spend time in the Gospels. Read about the life of Jesus and how he moved and interacted and how he conducted himself and his relationship with people, his relationship with sinners, his relationship with the religious people, his relationship with the authorities of the land, his relationship with God. Look at how he moved and maneuvered through all of those things and it was always comes out that he did it out of love. We see God's love in Jesus. Michael talked about that what love's true meaning or love's meaning and he talked about how that it's, it's valuing and he, and, and he put John 3.16, for God so valued the world 
that he gave his only son? That's what God does. He values you. Every person here is greatly valued by God. You are a direct object of God's love. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you're about. Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if you've been an atheist or you are an atheist. It doesn't matter if you curse God, if you blame God, if you despise God, if you reject God. You still are an, a, an object of his love. And you always will be. And we need to come to terms with that. And we need to understand that in the reality and in truth. Because it's then that we can move forward into loving him. There's no better description of this or example of it. Josh talked about uh, what love looks like in our lives. What it, what, it, what it looks like in reality. He talked about, of course, Jesus. And that's where we got to start. We have to look at his life. And then he talked about uh, David and how David's heart was consumed with God and his desire was always for God and David was just, was just saturated with the love of God. And he talked about a woman that washed the feet of Jesus with her and, and, and washed them and dried them with her hair. And in Luke 7 and 47, Jesus said, whoever is forgiven much loves much when we understand God and what he's done and what he is doing and what he will do that should generate a sense in us that we want to love him that we want to that we want that we want to return that love back to him that he's shown to us and that's what he said here when we realize what God has done for us in our life that he's rescued us from our destruction that he holds us in his hand, that his spirit indwells us, that we are free, that we are redeemed, that we are new creation, that we have a hope, that we have a living hope, that we have a future, that we are going to reign with God and we are going to be all a part of that, that you and I can be in that. We should love God. That's what it's all about. So the beginning step to loving God is to learn about Him. The more we learn about Him, the more our hearts are directed towards Him, the more we engage with Him, the more we trust Him, the more we love Him. In John, 1 John 4 and 10, there on the screen, it says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us. We love God only because He chose to love us. And he loves you. That is so hard sometimes for us to grasp. And I know it is. But we have to come to terms with that fact that God loves me. And therefore, I can return that love by loving him. There's a lot more to say about that, but I want to get to our response, and we're going to have a, probably a little bit of overlap here. Our response to all of this. The greatest challenge, the greatest battle that we all face is the battle of our hearts. 
because that's where our greatest desires are emanate from is our heart what do you desire more than anything one quote I read he said tell me what you think about most and I'll tell you who your God is yikes you believe that statement Tell me who you, what, what you think about most and I'll tell you who your God is. Man, I can't see nothing. I thought I had big enough fun. I wouldn't need my glasses, but obviously that's not the case. Does anybody name, know R.A. Torrey? Anybody ever heard of him? He was a, a preacher back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. I, I, I've never heard of him, but I came across, across this quote he made. If loving God with all of your heart, soul, and might is the greatest commandment, then it follows that not loving him that way is the greatest sin. If my mind and my heart and my body and my strength and my desires are not directed fully and completely towards God, then I'm not obeying the greatest commandment. Man, that was sobering to me. Is it to you? I hope it's not only sobering, I hope it's not condemning. What's the word? Man, huh? Convicting. I hope it's convicting. That's what we need. We need to be convicted in our hearts that sometimes we focus on things that are not really what the greatest commandment's all about. I said this a while ago, if this is the greatest commandment in all of God's laws, why is it the one that we spend the least time pursuing? Now, it may not apply to everybody here, but I think it applies probably to a lot of us. How much time do we spend pursuing the love of God and in return pursuing how I can love God in my own life? Look at this. That is how we know that we love the children of God because we know God and do what He commands. This is what loving God means. Okay? We saw, what does love God mean? Well, this is what it says right here. It means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are no trouble because everything that is fathered by God conquers the world. This is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. There's a whole lot there that we could look at and talk about. But the, the gist of that is, is keeping his commandments. And you're like, well, we're back to the beginning now. And so I got to just keep all the commandments in order to love God. No, it starts with our desire for God. And when our desire is for God and Him alone, then keeping His commandments are going to be what naturally flows from that. It's going to be just because that's who we are. Because I love God, and God is asking me to do this and to do that, and I'm to live this way, and I'm to be this way, and I'm to be that and this. And I do it because why? It's no trouble. Why? Because I trust God. I know that he's in control. I know that obeying God out of a genuine, sincere love and devotion to him 
is going to make my life as rich and as joyful and as meaningful and as purposeful as it possibly can be. And isn't that what we are all after? But how many times do we look at God's commandments and think, oh man, they're so burdensome and they just keep me from having so much fun and they just, they're, they're, they're so constraining. One of the things that I hear so much in this regard is, is, is premarital sex. And that people think, well, no, God doesn't want you to not have premarital sex because he wants you to have fun and he wants you to enjoy things. And, and, and sex is, is, is a nice thing, an enjoyable thing. And, but he confines it to the context of marriage. And when we do it by his, his commandments, then it's, it's a wonderful experience. And that's where it should be expressed and lived out. But we look at it that God is being very uh, mean, that he's being very confining. And we do that in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different areas, that God's restricting us and God's keeping us from pleasure and joy and, and fulfillment. And it's because we don't understand who God is and what he's all about. And so when we love God, it consists of me just... And what, what, what do we talk about a lot in discipleship? Being like Jesus. That's what our intent and our goal is to, is to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? What was Jesus like? He reflected the love of God to people around him. He was a source of life because from love comes life. And that's what we're called to be. And that's what we're called to do. The Christian faith grows directly out of and must directly express the belief that in Jesus the Messiah, the one true God, has revealed himself to be love incarnate. Incarnate means in the flesh. The love of God has become flesh in Jesus. And those who hold this faith and embrace it as the means of their own hope in life must themselves reveal the, same, the self-same fact before the watching world. Love incarnate in the flesh, in real human beings, must be the badge that the Christian community wears, the sign not only of who they are, but of who their God is. Quote by N.T. Wright. We are to manifest the love of God before a watching world. And what did, Je what did Jesus say that they will know you are my disciples by what? We all know it. By how you love one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Everything is summed up. Everything in the law is summed up in that one command to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So what does, love, what does God, loving God look like in our flesh, in our world, in our personal world? Well, you know, if we love God, you know what would, it would be like? We would be patient, and we would be kind. We'd never be jealous. We wouldn't be boastful. We wouldn't be proud. And get ready for a gut punch. We won't be rude. We wouldn't be selfish. 
We wouldn't be quick-tempered. Man, we wouldn't be keeping wrongs that other people do. We wouldn't be keeping a record of them, pulling them out of our pocket when we need to. We would rejoice when truth is proclaimed, when lived out, when it's spoken. But we would never rejoice when evil is done. If we were loving people, we would always be supportive. We would be loyal, uh, loyal and hopeful and trusting. And we would realize that when we live that way, that life will never fail because love does not fail. I've got a hunch in a crowd like this that there are a lot of us that struggle with loving God like we should. And then, like I said, the big, our biggest battle is our own hearts. There are people in this church right now, in this group of people right here, that are at different places in their relationship with God. Some are well on the journey of loving God and making that a reality in their life, and they live it out every day. That's at one, con- one end of the continuum. At the other end, there are those of us maybe who are struggling to even know what loving God means, that we don't give much effort to loving God, that it's a struggle, that, that for whatever reason we're way over here in loving God. But regardless of where we are on the journey, regardless of where you are right now, the place to start is right there. You can't be a, quote, super Christian. I hate air quotes. But uh, you can't be a super Christian overnight. You can't be one that loves God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're living it out in your life overnight. And we've got to come to terms with that. It's a process. It's a progression. It's a growth. But we have to start where we are. So wherever you are, how do you start? The most productive thing I think that we can do individually the most productive thing that we can do is to communicate that with God. Is to be real and to be open and to just lay it out before Him. And you know what? I think God's pretty big. I think He's pretty well set in who He is that He can handle whatever you have to tell Him. If you've been angry with God, Your view of God is distorted. Let him know that. If you are overwhelmed with a sinful behavior or an addiction or a habit, let God know that. God, I crave this more than I crave you. Help me change that. I've got a lot of character defects. 
that keep me from loving you and expressing that in my life. And I lay them all out before you. Just help me change them. And I think that there's no, no prayer that God will honor and listen to than that right there. Don't put on a front. Don't try to whitewash it. Don't try to downplay it. Just be real with God. He already knows anyway, right? You, I mean, you think you're tricking God. You think you're hiding from God. You think you're not going to tell him everything. He already knows how you feel. He knows your thoughts. Just share it with him. And then say, Father, I want to obey the greatest commandment. I want to know you, and out of knowing you, I want to love you with every part of my being so that I can reflect your glory to the world. Well, let's don't, let's don't get so big-headed that we're going to do it to the world. How about if we reflect the love of God to our wives, to our husbands, to our children, to those difficult people in our lives, to people at work, to the people we encounter during our day, to our friends, and how about to one another in the church? The glory of God is our ultimate purpose. That's why he created us, is to reflect his glory, and his glory is love.